to be brutally frank, there's a lot of mediocrity out in the, in the industry because we're left with a lot of the people that aren't good enough to go anywhere else or they don't have the will to drive their careers. Whereas the ones that do, if they go into go from a 10-person MSP into a 100-person MSP, all of a sudden they've got all this more opportunity to grow and do different things. Welcome to Insights as a Service. Uh, don't know what episode number this is, but this week I've got James Davis with me from the Pax8 Academy. In fact, you're the director of the Academy at Pax8. How are you going? Oh, good. Thanks, Brendan. Thanks for having me. And yeah, apparently I'm a director, so I think that means I've got to act professionally. That sure, and also probably means that you're um, the boss of Nathan, who was with us a few episodes back as well. Yeah, yeah, I am. So basically what it means is I'm in charge of partner education for the APAC region um, under Paxite Distribution Company. Nice. And I always like to check in where people are at uh, before we kick off the conversation. You're down in Tasmania, right? I am. I'm down in beautiful Hobart. So nice. a thriving IT industry, clearly. Um, I just moved down here because it's a beautiful spot and I got sick of Canberra because it was getting too big. Fair. Yeah, fair. Okay. Well, it's a first for us to have someone on from Tasmania. So welcome. Good to have you involved. Now, look, today uh, we're going to be talking um, a lot about uh, MSPs, uh, the model they work with, uh, where the industry is heading, et cetera. You've got a lot of very uh, well-formed and interesting views on these, uh, on those matters, on those subjects. So maybe let's, let's kick off. Um, you have uh, said in the past that you think the, the MSP model as it stands for most MSPs at the moment is somewhat broken or in danger of just being outmoded. So maybe, um, unless I'm completely paraphrasing that or getting that incorrect, maybe talk to us about how you see the the which which model you think is under threat and why. So when I say the MSP model, it's really that end user support and um, infrastructure management component. Um, that true traditional MSP when uh, people talk about it. It's not necessarily the full end user support, fixing things that are broken. It's not necessarily the back end management of uh, different technologies. It's the MSP model that we know and love um, that's grown up over the last 10, 15 years in this region. That desktop so, support kind of a, a, a staple. Yeah, and, and like network and the server infrastructure, keep, keeping the lights on mentality in terms of making sure we're creating those stable environments for our for our clients. We, we grew from being a break-fixed T&M house where, the, where our techs would be the white knights that would swoop in and fix all these um, broken things in the environment. As technology's gotten better, as we've gotten better as MSPs, a lot of that's going away or gone or and becoming redundant. And that's that's why I'm trying to start that conversation around the the true traditional MSP model is dying. That's but but what what's making it uh what why is it going? What what are the what are the threats or the replacements coming in or is it just the maturity in the model and things are just fundamentally more stable than they once were? Uh, a lot of it's coming down to probably three key things. Technology itself is better. Like you, I just look at, um, you know, even the networking gear around these days compared to what it was like when I started in the industry, it wasn't very stable. Things would fall apart where now most of the you know, routers and firewalls and wireless access points, they just work and they work for years and they're easily maintained. There's not that stability issue around performance anymore Is one is one thing. The cloud um, taking over, like we've all heard the doom and gloom for a long time. It's actually, it's actually happening and um, COVID sped it up. Uh, it was always going to change, but you just think now most small businesses operate off the M365 platform. Um, most of their line of business applications are SaaS-based applications on the cloud most of that infrastructure that was needed to run those applications aren't needed anymore because they're all dealt with um, by Microsoft or the SaaS providers. So that footprint has shrunk significantly. And the other changing thing that's happening that a lot, lot of people 
don't give enough credence to is the changing demographic. Most most of the workers now are pretty tech savvy. Like the majority of workers are uh, millennials or Gen Zs, and that dynamic of how we leverage and use technology has changed changed dramatically. So those three things are all happening at once to to drive these changing needs. It's actually one of the things I had down here uh, relating to this is that, um, you know, while while everything you say I think has merit, a lot of people are pretty noobish. You know, they 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 aren't particularly savvy. But I think you, your point's right. It's a, it's an evolving and ever maturing workforce, and and most people are ever more capable with the tools they've got in front of them. Um, but to your point about the vendors and and the the cloud based SaaS platform, so how much are you already seeing the vendors creep into that traditional MSP play around essentially packaging in support with the the monthly cost and maybe starting to justify price points or any sort of value proposition around that all in one offering? A lot of the vendors are stealing steering clear from a lot of that support. Okay, um, but what's changing is a lot of things aren't breaking. Support is changing. So the traditional way that we understand support is something's broken, we fix it. Where support now is more about how do I do this? How do I leverage this? It's uh, making sure integrations work um, and things like that rather than can I access my um, Z drive on this remote server over here and VPNs. It's, It's less around breaking. It's more around enablement support. And okay. that's what's challenging MSPs quite significantly because we're so used to that something's broken, we fix it. Okay, so so then if the the values and leveraging technology and increasing those those operating or operational efficiencies, where is where's the future model lie? What what are the what are the ways or the opportunities for MSPs to you know, move away from a revenue model? based on break fix or desktop hours or sorry, desktop support hours or whatever it might be to something more, yeah, more, more viable long-term with a decent bottom line. Well, that's the important part is um, the decent bottom line because as we're moving forward, one of the reasons why I'm driving so much of this conversation now is um, that MSP model is commoditized. There's still a place for it. But as there's more and more automation and there's more offshoring, more scaled providers can provide a very cost-effective support package compared to the old days. You know, you, you would have heard back in the day people offering support packages for like $40, $50 a seat, but we all knew they couldn't run that profitably. Now you can. So that um, value um, proposition it's very hard to charge a premium offering for something that's commoditized. And most MSPs aren't providing anything different or that are high, higher value. And as those client needs change, that's where price is always going to be the winner. Because if you've got an equivalent service, why would you pay double for something that's mm. the same? So what's what we need to focus on and the opportunities are there we're already charging good margins for our services, we've already got those client bases that are warm and that will adapt and we've got time to, to deal with them. We've got opportunities through enablement, which I'll talk further about. Security is one at the moment, but everyone's focusing it on in it the wrong way and they're getting caught, in, caught up in the shininess. We're treating it as a direct value-add, a direct thing that we can start charging a whole lot more money about. It's also an area that's going to commoditize super quickly. Um, it's Once we've got that set baseline, everyone's going to be basically doing the same things with just interchangeable vendors. Mm-hmm. The value proposition from that isn't going to last too long. So we're sort of in that sugar rush. The other opportunities are really around us adapting from the infrastructure management and fixing things that are broken to the application layer. It's all around the integrations. It's the advice around what technology to use. It's leveraging automation uh, to drive more efficiencies and generate um, money for, for people. It's being able to provide a wider array of technology solutions uh, compared to our old school MSP mindset of we need to keep our 
environments very tight and very standardized. It's not very, it's not giving the best value to um, small businesses because small businesses all have different needs. They have different objectives. And unless we understand that, all we're doing is like homogenizing the generic solutions for everyone. And that's where your value disappears. How much do, do MSPs then need to get better at picking verticals or specific technology stacks so that they can be somewhat homogenous, not have to, you know, um, have a lot of very highly skilled people across a broad range of, of subjects or platforms? How, how important is that and how much are you seeing that done? The ones that make really good money and getting the most leads are the ones that are verticalizing. And whether that's in a specific industry or it's a spe- um, specific technology specialization, that that creating a niche for yourself is very important. That's where you can create um, the different specific messaging. It's where you can reach and um, engage your clients. And like you just said, the standardization there of your skills as well allows you to scale where the traditional MSP, uh, they're all horizontal. Right? You go to every MSP, that you ask what their um, target client profile is, it's always 20, 20 to 250 users in a small business that values technology. That's that's not yeah. really a client profile. No, but, but see, I kind of wonder the same thing about our cybersecurity focus, right? If you're a standard MSP, you've been doing your desktop support a dollar per seat model, you've got a bunch of, you know, Microsoft and I don't know, Azure or whatever certified engineers, and then you decide cybersecurity is the next thing. How different is the skill set required to do cybersecurity well versus the skill set a business like that is likely to already have in place? Huge. It's completely different. It's and cybersecurity is a really good example um, that a lot of people are starting to face now. They know they need to skill up. Um, they've got junior resources that are excited about cybersecurity. Problem is, we are seeing it from a technical perspective. We get excited because for some reason that cybersecurity is super sexy. In reality, it's not. It's compliance. It's like it's like workplace health and safety. It's a bunch of checklists. It's checking that things are meeting certain standards and that we're ticking the boxes of doing that. So what I'm starting to see is more more people that are a bit more uh, tech savvy going into the cyber space. They're not suited for it. So when you start wanting to get that next higher level skills, you're not probably going to be able to de- um, develop that internally with the types of people you've already got from your MSP. And it's far too costly to go and hire these people off the street to slot in at the top tier. So what, what we're starting to uncover in this is understanding what you actually do and deliver. And as it's getting more difficult to recruit and retain people, if you're a more generic MSP um, where you've got fairly average skills, like the average MSP techs, typically you've got higher, more highly skilled than the corporate people, but the next level up, we don't often have those people because they don't stay in our industry. They go on to bigger and better things because they get to work with the complex problems. They get to deal with larger clients. In our MSP, we're going for good, consistent standardization. We don't need, we typically don't need those high level guys because our clients aren't that big. It's, they don't have very complex needs a lot of the time. So it's becoming that sort of, clearer lines of skill sets that are required in the different businesses. And this is where it's important for the MSP to look at what is next and what are they trying to do and what skill sets they actually need. So, okay, as, as MSPs are getting smarter because they know there's, there's better margins in, I guess, specificity of, of focus and potentially, like you said, whether that vertical is, is based on the type of client they serve or the type of technology they use, how much better in your experience or in what you've observed are MSPs getting at creating partnership ecosystems where they go, look, we can't be everything to everyone, but sometimes our clients are going to have a need for the cybersecurity focus or the specific type of uh, I don't know, technology stack outside of what we're used to and, and getting smart with your know, revenue share models and JVs and that kind of stuff. I think it's only just starting to emerge. So it's, it's typically the more mature 
And when I say more mature, it doesn't necessarily mean big either. It's it's really the um, those owners and those businesses that know what they're doing and where their capabilities are at to realize they can't do everything and they've, they've given up trying to do everything for everyone. But it, it's not, there's not quite the ecosystem for us to work together. We're very siloed still. MSPs only really um, mix with other MSPs in communities. The MSSPs do their own thing in the, the cyber communities. Systems integrators are hard to come across and tip, the typical MSPs coming across them in a sort of a more competitive um, environment that they're identifying the need to partner. They don't know exactly what they're looking for, but they're starting to want want that, which is, I think that's the first good step towards it. Yeah. I mean, that's that somewhere and that seems to be a reasonable spot. So, so I guess then let's talk about where the smart money's at. We've said some people are starting to do it. So MSPs are starting to do it. I know you've talked about, um, there being four viable business models, uh, whether it's a technology broker, boutique TSP, specialist TSP, scale TSP. Can you run us through at a higher level what, what each one of those is? Yeah, and I'll start with what TSP stands for. Um, so it's Technology Solutions Partner. You'll hear some old school vendors using the TSP term and just changing manage for technology in the service provider. But the reason why I talk about Solutions Partner is because we've got to view our clients and how we interact with them differently. So service provider just provides services. We're solutions partner. We're partnering with the companies. We've got a relationship. We're providing them with real solutions. And that's what they want. And none of our clients just want tech, technical services. They want business outcomes and business solutions that are going to grow and impact, grow their business and impact their people. So we need to change that mentality. And those four business models sort of stem from that that sort of key concept. So a technology broker is fairly straightforward. It's a business that's focused on an advisory engagement and they could make their money out of being like an IT manager as a service. They resell everyone else's things. It's a, it's the way that you can – it's a bit like an insurance broker. All the people that are selling insurance aren't the ones that actually deliver and do it but they're providing the advice, they're curating what the, the particular clients need. They'll have their sort of niche and understanding and experience and you can grow a pretty good business on that model. But it relies on not worrying about so much doing and managing the um, technology itself. It's more relationship management and advice. Mm, it's a very different skill set, isn't it? It's, it's not hands-on. It's very much people-focused. Yeah, and this is where I see a lot of Younger people are going to suit this um, because they don't typically have the technical skills of, say, the same people that started MSPs back in the day. They are more people-focused and a bit more… Maybe business acumen too, right? Because the people who typically started those MSPs back in the day were just nerds who were good at working on kit and they had to either develop business acumen or fail or get people in to work alongside them. And, yeah, what you're describing is definitely someone who understands business needs, who understands commercial imperatives, who can, you know, go, look, I understand the problem you're facing. Here are some potential solutions. And I've been smart enough to come up with some commercial agreements with those vendors. Yeah. Voila. It, it can be quite lucrative. You can imagine mm -hmm. how many clients that you can maintain and, and make good money out of selling lots of different things. There's so many so much opportunity in that probably scale quite nicely too, right? Like sometimes it's very much a you're selling in the, in the classic MSP model we discussed earlier, you're selling hours and you got to keep yep. employing this. You're really, the the continuous overhead is not proportionate to the amount of clients you have necessarily. So, yeah. Exactly. And you can like, you can enhance your model. There's lots of different ways to scale that, which mm. I'm quite excited about. Typical MSP owner would like poo-poo that idea straight away because it's just not their personality, which mm. is, which is, which is fair enough and fine, but that's the changing environment. The boutique TSP, it, it's really based on consultative-led engagements. It's your boutique, so you're only having like 35, 50 clients at most. You could have, I'll just say, you could have 50 clients that are generating you a million dollars in revenue, 
but you can still be boutique. It's not the size. Boutique comes from being that consultative-led, understanding your clients inside and out and being able to provide them the right bespoke advice for them to help them achieve their objectives. So while the technology broker is a bit more about reselling lots of things and not doing a whole lot, this is a lot more deeper engagement um, that's business-focused that leverages technology to drive outcomes. Um, most right. So, so, so with that, you're talking. Is is it that the the CIO CTO outsource kind of a model where you're looking at you know strategic goals and looking how technology technology can help you reach them? It is, and then having a team to back it up to work in the business and support them. Okay. So you still pro- you'd still have things like your outs- outsourced help desk. You'd still have your project management and coordination. You're still doing a lot of the the grunt work for the businesses. And it's a bit more along the lines of the traditional MSP model. It's just more based on the business outcomes than it is on keeping the lights on. Gotcha. So so in that model, would you see that there's a larger proportion of one off versus recurring revenue? Is it is it project rather than managed based? It's it's both. This is this is where you'd be able to get a quite a lot of recurring still based on getting keep maintaining the core security, the still providing help desk services, still um, reselling subscription licenses and stuff. But Mm -hmm. there is a lot more, it's probably 50-50 is a simple flight balance. There's a lot of project work. There's a lot of um, recurring work there. With that one, the the people who you want to keep busy are probably the more expensive ones, right? Like you've got your, essentially the people who are having those board level or C-level conversations with these key clients um, and advising them, they're probably the one-off revenue generators, but they're also the most expensive people to have sitting on their hands, not doing a lot. So there is the need to have a strong sales engine in a business like that, or a very strong network of referrals you know, and advocacy. And, and what's important, if, you, if you're going down that model, it's a premium model. There's mm. none of this giving away things for free and discounts. It's like you said, there's a lot of high level resources on here. They're yeah. remunerated like that, so you need you need to generate a premium engagements, and that's that, again that's why boutique is in the name. It's not it's not about size. People get caught up in, oh, it means we can be small. We're already a two million dollar MSP, so we're a boutique. No, this is actually strategic engagements and um, high level services that deliver technology solutions. Um, a lot of a lot of saying no to things that fall outside of your remit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's let's talk specialist then. Specialist TSP versus boutique. So specialist, so boutiques compl- around the business and more holistic. Specialists are really those guys that focus in on a specific technology area, whether it's security, whether it's something like Microsoft Dynamics. It's it's sort of the conglomeration of your old school MSSPs, your SIs, your high level technology consultants into a more focused area that they're predominantly um, professional services driven, but they've also got the opportunity to deliver high-level recurring services, whether that's through enablement or it's through the high-level complex um, managed services that are behind the scenes. So they're they're not worried about providing any type of support or help desk services. They're there to go implement a dynamics project, train train the staff, get ROI. So that you start to see that, say, the specialist TSP, there's partner opportunities already with the technology broker, with the boutique. They're not they're not a direct model. Mm. You can still do it direct, but they're gonna get the gonna have a lot more lucrative opportunities with partnering with these other people than then going and try and find their own. Their own well, clients. yeah, because when you get to that level of, of um, I guess, specific knowledge, you don't want to be out in the market doing demand gen activities, trying to educate people on the problem you can solve for them. You need smart people who understand that you fulfill a very critical part of a much bigger strategic imperative that they're trying to deliver. Um, and it was just making me think as well, you mentioned earlier on that MSPs don't keep people like that. People who work in those those specialist TSPs, they they're looking for those kind of roles. They can really get stuck into something they're specifically interested in and do 
the top level work in that specific domain and it's that type of specialist TSP that's going to attract and keep those people, right? It is. And that's the advantage of the partnership and you you talking about the ecosystem before. I don't think if I was running even a boutique uh, TSP that I'm going to have enough volume to have a, a team of 20 Azure experts as an example. Well, you don't need to. There's There's businesses that specialize in this that have that kind of talent partner up there's opportunities to do the the revenue shares and different different engagements um to deliver so that i see is quite lucrative and the thing about the specialist tsps the ones that can really look at scaling are the ones that can leverage the a channel model with still delivering some high the high level complex services but productizing more of the repeatable projects and the um, those sort of recurring complex managed services because they can bolt in. And, you know, I'll just pick on Azure again. Most average MSPs now don't have any capabilities in Azure, and that's two reasons. One, they don't have the techs and resources to, to, to sort of build that, but they also don't have the client demand average sort of two to three million dollar MSP probably only has five clients that proper as you would actually be a, a viable solution. So you, you're not going to invest in that. Whereas if you can find a partner that provides you with X amount of dollars to um, get it up and running, then I can put a, a commission on and, and take some extra margin. And then that they will manage it behind the scenes for me for a set mm. amount of money that I can resell to these clients. It's win-win for everyone, and it's win for the client as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's just one of those things where there are so many different technology options now. As you said, you can't be a master of all. Um, the cost of having in-house resource across such a wide array of technology stacks is just basically impossible, and there's margin pressure on virtually everything, which just forces some of these decisions to be made. So it will be interesting over the next you know, 6, 12, 18 months to see how many businesses start to really narrow down on a on a, on a specific option. And I guess while we talk about that, we, we haven't got to the last one yet, which is that scaled TSP. So let's, get, let's go through that. So their, their economy by scale, there's a reason why they're called scaled. So you're only going to be able to run this business if you have like minimum 50 FTE. Uh, so, and this is the problem with the traditional MSP model. The true traditional MSP model works on scale, but very few of us have ever gotten to a scale and we've all run, tried to build a business for scale and don't have the sales engine, et cetera. So there's a reason why um, our industry runs at 6% average EBITDA. It, because we've all built for scale. And like you said earlier, we're built by having, we have to have so many bodies in the fleet to be able to deliver the services. That's really so, interesting. That's 6%. We'll come back to that, but sorry, carry on. So the scale, the scale model really is about delivering to what's contracted and it's simplified services. So it's the cheap cost effective um, model of, delivering IT support and management. It's not about being the best. It's not about being having the highest level of technical capabilities. It's they deliver a service. It's good enough. It's what people will pay for. It's that 40 to $50 a seat model that I was talking about earlier. Hmm. All about just standardization. You get, you get this type of desktop model. You get this. There's no bespokeness about it it's being it's about being generic at scale so who's the target market for a, a scale tsp the average small business that's immature and doesn't really aren't really looking for um, really leveraging technology it's the technologies and necessary evil it's we're reacting to to our needs it's um, the ones that just use our simplified 365 suite. They might only have a couple of other cloud SaaS, but they're not looking for the um, the consultative advice. They're not looking for um, that high-level technical expertise. The, the difficulty there, right, is that those are the same people who 
because they see little value in what they're getting will almost shift for a two dollar cheaper per head option you know they and they're also the ones that some telcos who are starting to bundle office 365 type licenses uh, are focusing on so there's just this absolute land grab and and coming back to your point around that six percent um, EBITDA, EBITDA. I always say EBITDA, but a lot of people are saying EBITDA, and I'm like, ah, am I doing it wrong? Anyway, I'll get past that. The um, you know the 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 scale, the the inability to to get to the scale where you can maybe start pushing that up through the the, the economies of scale gained. You mentioned the the lack of sort of sales engine, but I imagine the churn rates must be just horrific when that is your 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 value proposition. I think for most people, changing IT is difficult, even though it's not that difficult. It's just that. I was going to say still, is it really? Yeah. Or is it just the perception rather than reality? It's perception rather than reality. Like, let's let's be honest, especially as more and more people, um, there's more and more standardization in in the industry, like M365. It doesn't matter if you move from one person to the other. I know... NCE makes it complicated with the billing, but from a client and client perspective, they don't have to go and um, change to a different platform. They've already got a platform. So as that starts to happen more, um, you know, there's only a handful of major um, networking vendors. There's only a handful of major laptop vendors, etc. Like they're all fairly stock standard and can be supported fairly easily. The challenge is. It's going to be a land grab at first, and then it's going to take um, big investment to then start a new business in that scale. Mm. So there's a lot of consolidation, and a lot of these larger MSPs that are going around and doing their land grabs now, buying more MSPs and things like that, they're really building the scale TSP model. They might not be saying it directly and saying it the same way as I am. Mm. That's what they're doing that they will go through the process of once they've got this land grab, they're going to standardize everything to simplicity. They're going to drive efficiencies through automation. They're not going to try and provide DCO to services to every single client. They're just going to go, we're charging you this amount. This is what we deliver, like it or leave it. And they've got most of the market then because they're cost effective. Okay. I don't like using the cheap word anymore because you still deliver good services at those sort of prices. Yeah. It's just they're, they're simpler, yeah. simpler solutions. I was actually going to bring that up with you is that uh, the, the roll-ups that, that we see happening everywhere, whether it, you want to call it a roll-up or, you know, M&A or whatever, but how well are you seeing those efficiencies realize those synergies, which is a word I hate, but I keep using, um, which is why I always have to do the air quotes because it indicates that I know it sounds stupid, but anyway, uh, they are there. That's a word. Uh, how well are you seeing those realized post acquisition to date in Australia and New Zealand? Not that great. Hmm. Um, it, it's Plus a, the blocker there. The inconsistencies across all the different MSPs, like every MSP, while there's a lot of similarity, they all, they all have different price structures. They've all got different um, agreements. They've all got different um, uh, vendors that they're using and not, uh, different stacks and all these sort of things. So at the moment, a lot of these bigger um, companies that are doing the roll-ups, they're pretty much just taking the opportunity of um, gaining the market cap size and then they'll go through the process of um, – consolidation and um, realization of the, the profits they're playing the longer get game they just know they need to get the volume um, now while, while it's there to take to take the market cap so a lot of them are trying to expand around being nationwide um, now so then they can make all these changes in the future you'd just be hoping that the um, runway is long enough on realizing those those savings and getting that, that consistency across you know, your product offering and your processes and your people, et cetera, um, before, you know, the, um, the cheap money runs out because you know, there's obviously been a pretty unique period over a couple of years now where the cost of these acquisitions has been at a record low. It's, I think they've got a long enough runway because of the um, security disruption as well coming. Right. So, there's enough opportunity to um, for a lot of these companies to sell others upsell other services because most mm-hmm. of the MSPs 
only sell a handful of things like just put, put an example out there, you know, ISP services, VoIP, security packages. If you, you're not doing them, which most MSPs don't provide all three, there's already margin and um, revenue that they can generate out of the client bases that they're um, purchasing. But they're not just getting the revenue and the client base, they're hiring all the talent. Like they're, mm. they're going around and sucking up all the techs um, and putting them, like building training programs and stuff um, to give careers. And for most techs, going back to what we were talking about around, uh, it's difficult to, for retention. It's very hard to want to stay in a small MSP. Um, and, and to be brutally frank, there's a lot of mediocrity out in the, in the industry because yeah. we're left with a lot of the people that aren't good enough to go anywhere else or they don't have the will to drive their careers. Whereas the ones that do, if they go into go from a 10-person MSP into a 100-person MSP, all of a sudden they've got all this more opportunity to grow and do different things which well, they can also they can also take holidays, right? Because you know it's yeah. like you're working in a small MSP and you're wearing three different hats. And when you go and leave, you got to take your laptop, and you know it's it it's it can be pretty overwhelming. Uh, I've known a lot of people have worked in those environments too. So I think you make a great point with, with a lot of these M and A, um, a lot of the M and A activity that that's going on. The smart ones will realize that what they're getting is an opportunity to create relationship with some really good people, and if they can lock that down, that's going to add a, a huge amount of value to the business over time. It's and this is why the, the sort of four business models are important because they're all very different, aren't they? Like mm. the, the only similarity is it's got something to do with technology. Mm. But they all require a different way of running it, a different, a different skill sets, different focuses. And this is the problem of MSP. It's so generic and so homogenized that it, it's meaningless anymore. And, and when I talk to people that should be like specialist TSPs, they want to get into MS, the MSP space. And when I talk to them, um, they, they've got a very different idea of what MSP means to what we know in the MSP side. Like they, So it's like it's just become this meaningless thing that doesn't resonate with anyone there's time to have a direction of where are we heading. And when I've had these conversations with owners that are, you know, a bit younger, a bit keener, they're not looking at selling anytime soon. They're looking at 10 years ahead. Being able to see these sort of business models gives them an idea of a direction to head where when they've just been thinking about where am I going with my MSP, it's just like we've just hit that point where we've run as much on that treadmill as possible. It's time to jump onto a, something new and go into a different bell curve, basically. Mm. So something else you've talked about is uh, QBRs. I was looking at a um, video you had um, recently up on, on LinkedIn. Um, whether you want to call them you know, quarterly business reviews or quality business reviews, we had a lady called Marnie Stockman who wrote a book on, on uh, QBRs uh, not too long ago. Uh, what are the biggest, maybe if you want to give you a version of what a, a good QBR is and maybe the, the mistakes you see most commonly um, I guess, applied or happening uh, in the MSP space? A good quarterly business review is all about uh, managing a strategic um, relationship with a client. Right. And the reason why a lot of the time this doesn't work is because either we're not mature enough to have these strategic conversations or our clients aren't mature enough to have those conversations. So we that maturity mean also you just don't have the data? Like do we even know what to talk about? It's it's the the data, the experience, the um the focus as well. So if I, I use my myself as an example, I was an account manager was my first role inside an MSP. I was like twenty four. And this is back when like the whole true method stuff was coming out. I got to get exposed to that. I tried the whole process. For one, looking back on it now, I don't know how the CEOs of like $30 million companies put up with me and <laughs> gave me the time of day. Yeah. Um, but I was providing them no value outside of just doing tasks for them. But I, I could go to now to like a $30 million, MS, uh, $30 million client and I could lead them through a conversation because I'm a lot more um, experienced. And that's a huge difference in itself. 
it's irrelevant of the data and the focus at that point. You can get away with a lot of the experience, but most of our account managers in the industry don't have business acumen. They don't have um, that sort of lived experience. They're not they're not diligent enough. So that's when the next level comes into. We don't have the data to talk about. Yeah. But to me, it's a, to me it's an excuse. Data should only matter when we're actually discussing a specific topic. If you're falling on the data to frame all your interactions with a client, you better have very specific things that you're delivering on, and the data needs to be consistent. And that's the problem with QBRs: is your horizontal MSP. What's important for each different client is going to be very different, um, and they're going to have that different maturity level. There's no point working to a quarterly meeting rhythm if they don't do business planning, they don't do budgeting, they don't do, um, they don't have a strategic framework that they work in 90-day sprints, all of that kind of stuff. It's meaningless to them. They're reactive. They'll buy stuff when they have cash, when they have a desperate need, or you can convince them at the time that they they need that kind of stuff. Um, and that's that's one of the reasons why I'm so against the generic term a quarterly business review because it's a crutch because we use it because we're not comfortable with sales we use it as a crutch to say oh we don't have the perfect system what actually matters is engaging your clients at the right level in how they understand and what they need that's the value you, you mm. can be you can have really good account management for small transactional clients that's purely based on they've got an issue that they need escalated or they they need to be sold a new thing. That can be working perfectly fine. But we, we again, homogenize and gener- genericize everything that we do in the MSP space that becomes meaningless and not applicable to all businesses. Yeah, I think there's data in this execution, right, or, or expectations around execution because – um, yeah, we've got some really good reports internally that uh, will tell our BDMs which alerts uh, each customer and who within those customers have been sent over, yeah, you know, whether it's 30, 60, 90, whatever days, you know, whether they've um, exceeded their voice channels, they've had a service down, they've, uh, they've had 4G data pool go over, whatever it might be. So they have the ability to go in and go, hey, um, as part of the agenda, I want to raise the fact that this site went down six times over the last 30 days, that this particular customer's voice channel, whatever. So they've got the data there. There's another one that will tell them who's lodged tickets with us, what the tickets were about, um, so and what the CSAT score was on that. And, and so perhaps other people in the business aren't aware that there's um, self-service tools that would resolve things a lot quicker or that if they had a certain type of notification set, they could know about things before they have to lodge a ticket or whatever. But, but for us, a lot of the issue is, and this is on me, is I haven't set really clear expectations around the way I expect the tools and the data that we provide to feed into clear, agended items of conversation on a, on a set call cycle, a set cadence. And so I think you can have all the data in the world, but if you don't have expectations very clearly set around how it's to be utilized and, and how that flows right through to that customer engagement, and while I'm ranting, uh, not just that it's data for data's sake, but, but you touched on this, it's about using this data what problems can we solve what efficiencies can we yeah. gain for you what can we do to drive your margins what can we do to get people away from their keyboard and doing something more productive with better return and and i think it's about having um you know almost less of a bdm or an am role or more about customer success you know how do i help this customer succeed and and that's kind of the the sort of holistic point of whether it's a quarterly or monthly or whatever um the, what the whole point of the meeting should be uh, and i think what that comes down to is you just need to know your audience. Mm. It's who are your clients, who, what type of clients are you targeting and then frame up your account management, your customer success, however, whatever terminology you end up using, you find what's appropriate. That's one of the things that really bugs me around the VCIO. I could rant for that about that for an hour, but next time, next time (laughs) it's one of the terms that, a VCIO is a very expensive resource. We just talk, spoke about that in the boutique model of like, you know, hire these kinds of people that can interact at these sort of levels. They're expensive. So if you don't have someone that's experienced like that, you're not providing VCIO services in the first place. But then we've all bundled VCIO into our agreements for free. Now it means nothing. It should be like a $300 plus an hour um, engagement with a, a proper VCIO. 
Um, so when we look at what we're delivering, one of knowing our audience is important. But the other side is what are people actually paying for? Whether directly in our recurring arrangements or from the results that we actually get from the, the activity through sales. Are we increasing our MRR? Are we, are we generating project revenue and product revenue uh, and margins that warrant the amount of effort that we put in? And most often in sales teams and MSPs, they don't perform. They're not very good and they don't get the return. So why do we try and put all this effort into um, that sort of customer success, the client relationships when the clients aren't valuing it and they're not paying for it? Like I just use banks are a good example. How much, how much uh, client relationship do they really do for you as a end personal bank um, user or a small business? Nothing unless you ring them up and say they've got a, you've got an issue, but we all still use them. They've, they've started to, um, like I know with my own banking app, you know, there's, there's now a little bit of, Hey, uh, here's your, your, your monthly breakdown of spend and you have a little budget things like, Oh, you're this much under budget today, or whatever. But it's, it's, it's biting around the edges and, or nibbling around the edges. And I think what you really see is the good companies and Pax is a good example of this, where you're with the Academy and the, um, the way you've really invested in creating, um, advisory opportunities for the people you want to work with, knowing that if they succeed, you will win as a byproduct. And look, ultimately this podcast is about the exact same thing. Really it's going, and the MSPs we're talking about, if they do it right, it's going, look, if people are succeeding in their business, they've got more people on, you know, more bums on seats, uh, they're getting, what they're doing gets more complicated because of scale. There's more opportunities to work with them, but ultimately they're winning and you'll win as a byproduct. You know, if you are helping MSPs grow uh, and you're taking a really active interest in, in, in enabling that growth, they're going to need to buy more things and, and you'll win. And we're basically the same. We just want to use those QBRs to bring it all back to that point whether they're QBRs or whatever you want to call them to go, how can we make you work better? Because then you don't have to sell. It'll sell itself. They're going to need more engagement because they're doing so bloody well. They've got problems to solve. And the problem with that, I think more than anything comes down to lack of experience. It's the, um, the MSP model and the, the ones that have got it right and make a good, good amount of money off the traditional services they can afford to have the higher, more experienced resources that cost money. If you're running at that sort of 6% EBITDA, you're either really not doing very well with really expensive resources. But typically, we have more resources that aren't skilled enough to operate at this level. It's very hard to drive real customer success programs without someone that has that sort of business acumen and understands the, the, your clients. Like the mm. reason why Academy works is because someone like me who's gotten all the white hairs and the stress of working in the MSPs and doing this for a long time, that's the value. If you chuck some poor junior guy in to try and run this, they're not going to deliver a whole lot of value to the partner. Yeah, I don't think people give them respect either. You know, People who have been operating MSPs, they – they don't want to be told what to do by someone who's read a book and now feel like they can be a life coach. You know, they need someone who's been there. They've been in the trenches. They've learned from experience and they're prepared to tell some war stories where they didn't get it right, but they've learned, you know, certain, certain things along the way. Hey, we're going to wrap this up shortly, but I want to ask um, one last question um, from you or of you. What do you see in terms of the growing awareness of the importance of a logical pricing methodology, not just, Oh, we're going to charge this much per seat because competitor down the road, I know they charge X, Y, Z. And you've touched on this, right? You can't give away, you know, VCO, um, VCIO or VCTO um, resource for free. You've got to, you've got to have a value-based approach to your pricing. How much are you seeing the approach to pricing change with MSPs? How much um, resource is available to help MSPs in that space? What do you see going on? Unfortunately, I think we're going backwards. Um, more than anything, like I look at um, cybersecurity, the way that people are developing their cybersecurity packages is exactly the same mistakes we all made in the first versions of um, our managed services packages. It's that plucking the figure out of the air and guessing and um, bundling all this stuff into one package and making it all hidden and not transparent. Mm. And we're doing the same thing we did and locking ourselves into poor legacy pricing that um, is very hard to unwind for the average MSP. 
Um, and there's some there's some mature ones that are looking at um, actually pricing and packaging in a more mature way, but we're still very much at the maturity level in the industry. It's just like follow the leader. If if someone's doing something and they're pricing it in this range, that sounds about right, so we do it. Mm. And and with cybersecurity, a lot that's what's happening with some of the more mature MSPs that basically decided on a price point and here's what we can fit under that price point and let's try and just hammer it in instead of using it as an opportunity to revisit our whole business model because obviously ripping apart our whole business model is a lot more work. So we're not quite there yet, but we, we need to really start changing that um, that mindset in our space. Um, we've got to stop acting so small business-like um, and just like going by gut feel because that gut feel probably isn't right anymore and it's based on our old school logic of oh, we fix broken things. It's, it's not thinking about um, properly structuring it so we can change products more easily. It's not structured so we can um, do versioning, it, all the good productization sort of methodology. We haven't really adopted as an industry yet. Hmm. All right. Well, that'll be an interesting deep dive for another day. Um, we need to leave it there. It's been a, it's been a great chat. I'm sure we're going to do this again. But I know that you've got your own channels in a couple of places. Anything you want to plug while we've got you here? Uh, you know, hit the like and subscribe. <laughs> um, just LinkedIn. I push most things out on LinkedIn. So if you can, if you've sat through our session and you haven't got sick of me already jump on LinkedIn and I push a lot of different stuff about what's going on in the industry and different operational aspects and different strategic decisions to make um, and just trying to help the overall industry. So find me on LinkedIn and um, yeah, follow along and see if there's anything useful. Sounds good. Yeah, a lot of what we've talked about today is just uh, sort of skimming the surface of some of the um, things, the videos and and uh, talking points that you've posted on there. So I'm sure there'll be a lot more for people to dive into if they've liked the sound of this. All right, James, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks for having me.